Good evening to each one of you. It's good to be here tonight. The topic for tonight, the title of the message is Walking Humbly. It's part of our Walking Together series. It has to do with the relationship that we can enjoy as we have a good um, estimate of ourselves and of our those that we walk with. And of course it involves our honor not only of God but of each other. We walk together. God made us like that. God has placed us in families and churches and other social settings. It's a good thing. Sometimes we walk alone. It may not be by choice. Sometimes it's good to be alone. Sometimes it's because we have had a struggle with a relationship that we walk alone. Some relationship that has been damaged in some way. Someone in our family maybe or someone else that we've had a struggle with. And that's where it becomes a sad thing when we walk alone is when that walking alone is because of a broken relationship. Do you want to live like that is the question I would have. Most of you would say no. Are you happy like that? No. Many relationships can be repaired if we follow the steps outlined in Scripture. In some extreme circumstances, and we run into those occasionally, the relationship cannot be repaired. And we just have to make sure we're clear in that relationship. There are some horrendous relationships today that... That are, that just, are just very, very sad and, and we just have to make sure that we're clear and have done all that we can to repair them and we're clear before God. Yes, last night we mentioned that relationships are the most important thing in life, more than anything else, more than your job, more than your bank account, more even than your health. And we looked at the great commandment, Out of Mark chapter 12 that says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. I'm here to tell you that humility as a character trait makes walking together so much better. And the key is that our focus as a humble person is not on ourselves, but on God first and our brother or sister, or the one we are in a relationship with. That is the key to walking humbly is a focus not on ourselves. Pride is all about focusing on ourselves. How can we please the one we're walking with? Our focus is that way. We're going to have a good walk. There is almost nobody that doesn't enjoy being uh, served, being loved, being cared for. And as we walk together, we can please God and those around us. We don't have to try to lift ourselves up. There is something about exaltation of self that destroys relationships. There, There is maybe, I don't know if I can... Absolutely say that, but there is almost no greater hindrance to a good relationship than pride. 
pride where we exalt ourselves in some way that we shouldn't be doing. And our values get all mixed up. Max Locato tells a story about some prowlers that broke into a department store recently. And these prowlers were unusual in that they were not there to steal anything. They were there just to pull a prank. And what they did, these, these people broke into this, this uh, department store and they switched price tags. They just went all around and, and just just switched the tags. This must have happened a while back. Mostly that would be kind of hard to do anymore. But they took a price tag off of a $395 camera and stuck it on a box of stationery. The sticker on a 595 book was put on an outboard motor. They repriced a lot of things in the store that night. What was even more ridiculous was that nobody realized what had happened until four hours after the store was opened. Some customers got some bargains and perhaps some got fleeced. I use that to illustrate the fact that values today are all messed up. Values are placed on things that shouldn't have high value in where there should be high value, there is a low value placed. Our value structure is very, very inaccurate, very uh, out of kilter. A false value system has been set up in our culture. Our culture will tell us that you are valuable if you can produce. You can produce, you are valuable. You are valuable if you are good looking. You are valuable if you have nice things. You are valuable if you have a doctor in front of your name or you have influential friends that gives you value. People look up to you. My question is then what, where does that leave the rest of us? We can't always produce. We are not that good looking. We may not have have a college degree or a doctor in front of our name. What, where should we be getting our value from? We are valuable not because of what we have or have achieved, but because of the value that God has placed on us. That's a very, very important statement. And you're going to hear it reinforced tonight throughout this message. Is You are valuable. I am value because, valuable because of the value that God has assigned to us. He has taken a tag off of something very valuable and has stuck it on us. And so he says, you are valuable. And I achieve that value because of what God has done. I'd like you to think just a little bit about a person in the life of Christ. And it was the thief on the cross. This thief on the cross was, from our perspective, from a human perspective, had very little value. He was a, he was a scoundrel. He was, he was a criminal. And there he was suffering a, a, a obnoxious death for, as a result of his crime. He had nothing to offer. He asked for grace. He asked for mercy. And he is walking around in glory today with a decent understanding of both grace and mercy. Because of the love that God had for someone like that. Our value and our sense of worth should be derived from the value that God placed on us. You are valuable because God decided that you are. Some food for thought before we begin our 
our study in, in earnest here. A couple of questions to be thinking about. First one, am I a humble person? I would like for you to think about that honestly, because the Scripture asks us to think soberly about our value. Uh, are, am I a humble person? Well, I can't say I'm humble because if I say I'm humble, I'm proud, okay? No, we need to, we need to evaluate it. Is, 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 am I a humble person? That is something that we can control. And we're going to look at a scripture a little later that says, be clothed with humility. Put it on like a garment. It, that's what the meaning is being clothed of. Take humility and clothe yourself with it. That is the command in Scripture. Am I a humble person? What does a humble person look like? What does he act like? God wants us to be humble people and to walk together in humility. Second question that you'd be thinking about, we'll try to answer for you. What is humility and how do I get it? Somebody said that, uh, well, when we commit sin, then we are humbled. Is that how we get humility? Is it our mistakes? Is it our view of God? Is it God's grace? Is it the Holy Spirit that gives us humility? A third question. How important is a healthy self-image in our relationships? That uh, That's a kind of a dirty word in some circles. This self-image, this self-evaluation. But a healthy self-image is... Very important. I'll answer that right away in, in, in our relationships. Fourth question, what role does humility play in my relationships? Or the lack of humility? Question number five, will humility come automatically as we mature in our relationships? Some, some questions designed to provoke thought. Okay, we'll begin then with a definition for humility. And I was really blessed with the definition found in Nelson's Bible Dictionary. What I have up here for you is just the beginning of their definition. Nelson's Bible Dictionary says that humility is a freedom from arrogance that grows out of the recognition that all we have and are comes from God Biblical humility is not a belittling of of oneself, but an exalting or praising of others, especially God and Christ. Nelson's Bible Dictionary gets in on the key of what it is that is humility. It is not a belittling of oneself. You will hear, and maybe you've been guilty of doing it, and I think I have, of just just denigrating myself, of just uh, basically putting down myself in an attempt to at least appear humble. You know, oh, I'm just no good at this, or I can't, you know, I'm just, oh, I'm terrible, you know, you know, whoever I am, and I'm just belittling myself. I've missed the whole point of humility. Humility is not that. Humility is not belittling myself. Humility is an exalting or praising of others, especially God in Christ. The definition, which I don't have on the screen, goes on like this. A humble person then focuses more on God and others than on himself. Biblical humility is also a recognition that by ourselves we are inadequate, without dignity, and worthless. 
Yet because we are created in God's image and because believers are in Christ, we have infinite worth and dignity. True humility does not produce pride, but gratitude. Since God is both our creator and redeemer, our existence and righteousness depend on him. The Greek philosophers despised humility because it implied inadequacy, lack of dignity and worthlessness to them. This is not the meaning of humility as defined by the Bible. Jesus is the supreme example of humility, and he is completely adequate and of infinite dignity and worth. I tried to simplify this definition the more I thought about it, and I came up with Sam's definition. Humility is not a belittling of self, but an absence of self. It is not a denigration of self, but a dearth of self. A truly human, humble person then is one in which self does not figure largely in his relationships. That is going to be the emphasis of the message tonight is that our focus on ourselves, even while belittling ourselves or making little of ourselves, if we are focusing on ourselves, that is not humility. The selfless person, and you know who I'm talking about, you've met them, the person who, when you go into their home and you meet them, they treat you like a king. And I had that happen to me today. You go into their home and they treat you like a king. And they, they talk about what interests you. And they, 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 they're not focusing on themselves. They're fo- focusing on other people. And self is not king on the throne. And that, that to me speaks of humility. That is what humility is. Self is not the focus. It is not a belittling of ourselves, being discouraged or downhearted. It's not lowest self-esteem in a standalone way. It is freedom from arrogance. It is recognition of our dependence and standing with God. A recognition that by ourselves we are inadequate, we are worthless and without dignity. We find our recognition and worth and dignity in a relationship with God. If I was to put it in picture form, this is what I would come up with. In our three inner overlapping circles of God, self, and others, we we draw two arrows. And those arrows emanate from ourselves and are directed toward God and toward others. Focusing on God and others in that order. Focusing on God and others. Focusing on God and others. Our conversation. Focusing on God and others. Focusing away from myself. Pride focuses on self. And I'm right here to tell you that is a miserable life. The focus on myself, whether it's to belittle myself or to try to exalt myself, just the focus on self is what drives a lot of misery in relationships and otherwise. Dwight Moody said, a man can counterfeit love, he can counterfeit faith, he can counterfeit hope and all other graces, but it's very difficult to counterfeit humility. And I I tend to agree with Dwight Moody. The counterfeit, to counterfeit humility, then this person has to focus on other people. And a selfish person, that's, that's almost impossible. 
to do. To focus on God and other people. Okay, it's a couple of scriptures for a basis for tonight's message. The first one is a key one in Romans 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The key word there is sober assessment of where I fit in. A sober assessment. Do you see anything about belittling yourself in here? No, you don't. It's a sober assessment about where I am in God's scheme. In other words, I understand that God must be exalted. And I understand that my focus must be on serving my, my fellow traveler, my fellow walker in this path. And my, my, my focus is on honoring them. And I understand that that, that is where I am. And I have made a sober assessment that this is why where I am. I, I, under, I make the assessment that what I have that is of value is from God. It's not something I produced on my own. Sober assessment, an accurate assessment. Not placing myself on an artificially high spot, looking at myself the way that God does. That's a key scripture there. The next one I want to look at is 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, another key scripture relating to humble living and humble walking. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yet all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Just a couple of notes here. Submission is a key concept in God's scheme for relationships. And Peter here outlines that we are to be subject one to another, which means we place higher value on those around us than we do on ourselves. Being subject, if, if you were to take that term on through it, it has to do with, with a, uh, an authority s- structure. A monarch, perhaps, or something where you are their subject, you, you, has, you are under their, uh, you honor them as being in, in control. Um, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Can you put on humility? Yes, you can put on humility. It can be developed in your, in your, uh, experience. It can be developed. It is, it is a command, in fact, to put on humility. And that, I'm here to say just in short form, is, is, is a focus thing. Putting on humility is a focus thing. Don't focus on yourself. You catch yourself focusing on yourself and you're all saying, I, me, I, me, I, me, I, me, I'm, uh, you know, I, I have this and that, I, me, me. And, and if your conversation is just I, me, and we, and, you know, you've got a problem. Your, your focus is wrong. And we need to focus on God first and then also on our fellow traveler. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. How many of you need grace in your life from God? How many of you need grace? We need God's grace so much. How are we going to get God's grace? 
by humbling ourselves, being clothed with humility. He will give grace to us. Is his promise here. If you are proud, God puts up his hand in your path. And, and you can't win against God. I'm, I'll just tell you right, right up front. I can't win. When he blocks my path, he says, well, well you're not going any further. Um, I don't want that. That is an impossible situation. So there's the promise. God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble. We need to submit to his mighty hand. Okay, um, some key concepts of humility. Thank you. Humility is the following. Humility is number one by design. The relationship of man to God is always best when there is absolute dependence on the part of man. Acknowledging the truth of our position as man, accepting it, looking at it as normal, yielding to God his place. Pride is a basic rebellion to God's design for us. We are telling God that we are assuming his place and we act like Lucifer when we try to assume the place of God. When we are accepting of our place in God's design scheme, we will be contented and we will be happy. Think about that. When you assume the honor that belongs to God, when you step up into His place, you are exalting yourself out of your design spot in His scheme. And it, it's, it's, not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. A quote from an Archbishop, Joseph Bernadine, he says, If we are honest, we must admit that much of our time is spent pretending. But when we turn to God in prayer, we must present our real selves, candidly acknowledging our strengths and weaknesses and our total dependence on Him. We are designed to be dependent on God. That is His design. That is His scheme. Secondly, humility is an indication of a tender heart. A tender heart is a humble heart. When King Josiah in the Old Testament inquired of the Lord, he became convicted that his people were transgressing grievously, and he sent to the prophetess Huldah and asked what, should, what was the word from the Lord and part of the message that she sent back, she says, But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, says the Lord. A tender heart is where God can work, where God can still make an impression. Pride brings with it hardness and insensitivity. Pride clouds our vision until we can't see clearly. I think we are to be like little children. Jesus taught that. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. 
and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Child with a, with a tender heart. A quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, Now as always God discovers himself to babes and hides himself in thick darkness from the wise and the prudent. We must simplify our approach to him. We must strip down to essentials, and they will be found to be blessedly few. We must put away all effort to impress and come with the guileless candor of childhood. If we do this without doubt, God will quickly respond. Number three, a sober assessment of what I am. I mean, reference to that from that scripture in Romans 12:3. There's something that God does as we get older. I don't know if any of you older folks have experienced what I have, but as you get older, you begin to do a little better evaluation of where you are. And your illusions are fading somewhat. Reality is setting in. You begin to see your limitations. I begin to start to see others more. I hope that's the case. I begin to see God working more. I begin to see a more accurate picture of what God is doing. And I think that the Holy Spirit is at work in me, bringing this fruit to bear in my life as He wishes to do in each one of our lives. There was this Canadian photographer, his name was uh, Freeman Patterson. He was, uh, I guess, a good photographer, and he, he discovered how to take pictures well. He learned to see the subject matter. He learned to look out at the focus at, on the uh, scene that he was photographing. And he says the following, letting go of, of the self in any essential, is an essential precondition to real seeing. When you let go of yourself, you abandon any preconceptions about the subject matter which might cramp you into photographing in a certain predetermined way. When you let go, new conceptions arise from your direct experience of the subject matter and new ideas and feelings will guide you as you make pictures. In the spiritual life, just as in photography, being preoccupied with self is the greatest barrier to seeing. But when we get past it, we catch glimpses of extraordinary beauty. Number four, humility is realizing that I am dispensable. You all know what dispensable means, right? They can do without me. I have to remind myself of that every once in a while, that I am very, very dispensable. I, in, in, a, in, in my proud moment, I think, well, you know, what would they do without me? You know, I'm pretty special. You know, if I didn't show up, you know, this stuff would just go to the dogs. You know, it would not work. Then I realize that's, that's wrong. My family would press on. My church would press on. I am dispensable. I read the story of Dick Jones. Dick Jones 
lived as if everything in the whole community depended upon him. One morning he woke up with a high fever. His wife called next door to a doctor friend. When he diagnosed that Jones had viral pneumonia, he suggested that Dick stay in bed for several days. But Dick complained, no, I've got a breakfast meeting at the school. I'm president of the PTA board. Then I got crucial business at the office, a luncheon date, and three very important dates this afternoon. And then the building committee at church this evening. There's no way I can be sick today, doctor. I'm sorry, said his doctor friend, but Dick, I don't know anyone who's indispensable. And I suggest you stay in bed. But at that very moment, as the story goes, Dick's high fever sent him into a trance. And there in that trance, he saw himself looking in on heaven. The angels were gathering around God in his holy throne, but everything seemed to be in disarray. Some papers were being passed around, and finally, after some discussion, the angels passed a significant-looking paper to God. He read it, and God was obviously upset. God got off his throne and said, Oh, no, oh, no, what will I do today? What will I do? The angels in chorus said, What is it, God? What is it? God replied, What will I do today? Dick Jones is sick. You're dispensable. I, I don't even hate to tell you that. You're very valued. Don't get me wrong. You are valuable, but you are not indispensable. I am valuable because God says so. And, but I am not indispensable. A couple of you older folks may remember this. You probably don't, but I remember an old folk song. Back in the late 60s, probably, they were singing this song. And I can't sing it like they did but it, back then, but it was the flower children, probably. They said, take a bucket and fill it with water. Stick your hand in right up to the wrist. Now draw it out quickly and you'll find just a measure of how you'll be missed. That's not all of the song, but that's the way it goes. We are not indispensable. When we realize that God has a purpose, God has a plan, and God will carry on without us. Finally, maybe most importantly, humility is thankful. I find that thankfulness and humility go right together. They're hand in hand. They are, they are brothers. They are close brothers. Thankfulness and humility. When I realize my place in, a, in God's scheme of things, when I realize that, that God is in control and I fall under God, and I, 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 as long as I'm faithful to God and, and, and as long as I'm serving others, God's going to take care of things. Everything, anything good that I can produce is God's. It's from God. It didn't come from me. It is what His doing that produces within my heart thankfulness. An example of that would have been in the Old Testament scripture of Daniel. And for the sake of time tonight, I won't read this whole scripture, but you all know the story of of Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar. He was a proud king and he decided to go out walking one night and looking over his kingdom and he says, look at all this, look at all this that I built. Look at all this beautiful city and that I have built for the, 
house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And shall make thee eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And that's exactly what happened. This man became a beast, if you will. He was out there eating grass and crawling around like a like an animal. I remember I had my brother had a dog. He called him Nebby because he ate grass. That was a terrible picture of this proud king. Proud king, you know, crawling around on all fours and making weird noises, I suppose. But he ends with a good ending. At the end of the days, this was test, the testimony of the king, Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. He lifted his eyes toward heaven, and he gave honor to God, instead of taking honor for himself, and God allowed him to be reinstated. At the same time, my reason returned unto me, for the glory of my kingdom and my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. This king who had been so proud became a thankful king. And humility is what brought this, this experience to bear. We experience God in humility through thankfulness. We experience His goodness and mercy. We experience His nature. We experience His care. And gratefulness wells up in our hearts. Okay, practical part of walking humbly. What does it mean in relationships to walk humbly? What is it like to walk humbly? Scripture says to walk humbly with your God and also commands us in other scriptures to walk in humility toward others. He has showed thee, O man, Micah 6, 8, what is good and what is doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. The first observation about walking humbly is that it Humility makes us different. One of the reasons you as a Christian are different from the worldly person around you is because of humility. They may be religious. They may do good things. They have their cake and eat it too. They are comfortable in what they do and how they live. But you are different from them. I read the story. It illustrates what I'm trying to say here. Robert E. Spear says that several years ago he was being entertained by the president of a small college in the South. The school had limited guest facilities, so the head of the institution offered him his apartment. I woke up early the next morning, said Spear, when I heard someone tiptoe into the room. 
I lay there quietly with my eyes open just a slit to see who it was. To my surprise, the president of the college walked in, picked up my dirty boots, and walked out. I got out of bed, opened the door a crack, and watched him take them to an adjoining hallway. Then he got down on the floor and began polishing them. I could have cried at the sight. His hospitality and thoughtfulness showed me what a great man he really was. Some years after that, he rose to national prominence. Because of his complete humility of spirit, God elevated him to a higher position. As a humble person, walking humbly, we will be different. We will be different in our culture and our society, not like those around us who are not Christians. What makes the humble person different? The man of the world gets his status from other things. Wealth, possessions, power, influence, image. We serve the Lord. We no longer have our own egos as our masters. We have a different outlook on life. We gain our worth in the fact that we have a relationship with God. We get our worth from our dependence on God. It's a different focus. If I could put it in a few words, our focus is to be different. It's not to be different, but to be focused on God and others, which makes us different. Which makes us so different from the worldling. Number two, humility makes us like Christ. Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the attitude of Christ. Focusing on others, serving others. Letting go of the things that we believe are rightfully ours. Emptying of, our, of ourselves as Christ did. He was willing to do that. A quote from a Joseph Bailey in his book, Psalms of My Life. King Jesus, why did you choose a lowly donkey to carry you to ride in your parade? Have you no friend who owned a horse, a royal mount with spirit for a king to ride? Why choose a donkey, small, unassuming beast of burden, trained to plow, not carry kings? King Jesus, why did you choose me, a lowly, unimportant person, to bear you in my world today? I'm poor and unimportant, trained to work, not carry kings, let alone the king of kings, and yet you've chosen me to carry you in triumph in this world's parade. King Jesus, let keep me small so that all may see how great you are. Keep me humble 
so that all may say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, not what a great donkey he rides. We're the donkey. Christ is being portrayed to the world. Third practical aspect of walking humbly. Humility chooses to honor others. A humble person will bestow honor on others. That's a key part of any good relationship. I've become very, very impressed with the fact that I need to honor those around me. What does it mean to honor someone? It means to consider them valuable. The the word honor there is to consider them to be heavy. It's literally the word translated honor there is to ascribe value to them. Ascribe value to someone. To dishonor someone is to consider them a lightweight. If I honor my wife, I consider her to be very, very valuable to me. She is extremely valuable to me. And I I need to be telling her that very frequently. How important that she is to me. Honor is the key in almost any relationship I know of. You honor the person you're walking with. You show them respect. You show them honor. They're not always worthy of it. Who is? But you show them honor, you show them respect. That is walking humbly. Is to honor others. Is to to ascribe value to them, like gold. Place a high value on something or someone. Your priority list needs to include God as number one. If you were to put your list together, God is the one, number one to be honored. Immediately below that is, is those around you. You honor those around you. Uh, it, it, it works in relationships from marriage to the job that you're on. Show that boss that you're working for. He may not be honorable per se. But show him honor, nevertheless. Show him respect. Show him honor. It's a godly way. It's the godly way to walk. It's the way to be humble. Don't, don't show dishonor. He is your boss. You honor him. She is your wife. You honor her. He is your husband. You honor him. You show them honor. How do you show them honor? You consider them very, very valuable. You show them that, that they are, they are Gold in your eyes. Not that they are worthless. And that, that is the principle of honor. Honor is a choice. May come as a surprise to you. I can choose to honor or I can choose to dishonor. I can walk in this room this evening in church and I can show honor to someone or I can show dishonor or disrespect. Part of this humility business and walking in humility is to honor others. To show them high regard because of the command to honor all men. Number four, 
Humility adorns the Christian. Humility adorns the Christian. Walking humbly, humility is what sets apart a Christian. First Peter 3, verses 1 to 4. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without the words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit with which is of great worth in God's sight. Titus 2 verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The fact of our humility, our submission to God, our respect for others is an adornment that makes us beautiful. I don't know, ladies tend to adorn themselves more with physical objects. We guys tend to adorn ourselves with our possessions maybe or a big truck or whatever it is that you try to make yourself look good with. That is adornment. That's not what we should be focusing on. Our adornment should be that of, of a meek and quiet spirit of a humility, of a honor that we have for others. We make Christ look good when we do that. Finally, humility makes us influential. You would think exalting yourself, setting yourself makes you influential. Just the opposite is true. In the Christian realm, we become influential in our setting when we clothe ourselves with humility. That we make the greatest impact on other people when we are clothed with humility, not when we're walking around with pride. Pride has a way of insulating us from other people. How many of you like to walk with a proud person? No, they're all stuck up and taken up with themselves. You don't like to walk with them. Those relationships are very, very difficult when there's that pride there. However, when there's humility, it is, it is so attractive. That humility in a relationship is so attractive that it draws people in. And people, you, people be, feel welcome there. They feel honored to be there. I, I, I have been that way. It's, Jesus used the example in, in, in influence of salt and light. He said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. There's an influence there that is not in your face, but is there as well in the background. It makes Christians influential. And humility is the best witness that a Christian can have to those around them, is a humble life. You feel that you're just a little bit better than them. Forget your witness. Forget it. It's not, the impact is not going to be there. But if you serve them, if you go there and you serve them, the impact of that humility, that humble action will, will bear fruit. I want to close message tonight with a story that has had made a great impression on me. I don't know if you've heard this story before, but um, I'm going to read it anyway. It's about a Doug Nichols. 
who was serving in Operation Mobilization in India in 1967. He had tuberculosis when he was over there working in OM, and it forced him into a sanitarium for several months. I did not yet speak the language, he says, but I tried to give Christian literature written in their language to the patients, doctors, and nurses. Everybody politely refused. I sensed many weren't happy about a rich American. To them, all Americans are rich. Being in a free government-run sanitarium, they didn't know I was just as broke as they were. The first few nights, I woke around 2 a.m. coughing. One morning during my coughing spell, I noticed one of the older and sicker patients across the aisle trying to get out of bed. He would sit up on the edge of the bed and try to stand, but in weakness would fall back into bed. I didn't understand what he was trying to do. He finally fell back into bed exhausted. I heard him crying softly. The next morning I realized what the man had been trying to do. He had been trying to get up and walk to the bathroom. The stench in our ward was awful. Other patients yelled insults at the man. Angry nurses moved him roughly from side to side as they cleaned up the mess. One nurse even slapped him. The old man curled up into a ball and wept. The next night I again woke up coughing. I noticed the man across the aisle sit up and again try to stand. Like the night before, he fell back, whimpering. I don't like bad smells and I didn't want to become involved. But I got out of bed and went over to him. When I touched his shoulder, his eyes opened wide with fear. I smiled, put my arms under him, and picked him up. He was very light due to old age and advanced TB. I carried him to the washroom, which was just a filthy small room with a hole in the floor. I stood behind him with my arms under his armpits as he took care of himself. After he finished, I picked him up, carried him back to his bed. As I laid him down, he kissed me on the cheek, smiled, and said something I couldn't understand. The next morning... Another patient woke me and handed me a steaming cup of tea. He motioned with his hands that he wanted a tract. And as the sun rose, other patients approached and indicated they also wanted the booklets I had tried to distribute before. Throughout the day, nurses, interns, and doctors asked for literature. Weeks later, an evangelist who spoke the language visited me, and as he talked to others, he discovered that several had put their trust in Christ as Savior as a result of reading the literature. What did it take to reach these people with the gospel? It wasn't health, the ability to speak their language, or a persuasive talk. I simply helped an old man take a trip to the bathroom. Humility makes us influential. It portrays the character of Christ. We walk together. And if we find our place in God's program, in God's scheme, when we properly assess our position, we submit to God, we serve each other, we're going to be a very pleasant company to walk with. You will find that others will walk with you. You will find an immense amount of happiness in walking humbly with God and with your fellow man. I encourage you to walk humbly, your God.